Hello, my name is James Pikeaway, and welcome to the podcast version of Creative Mornings in Dubai. I'm the host of Creative Mornings, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to our 69th speaker, Mariana Masakian. She spoke on the theme, Invisible. After 18 years of living the life in Dubai, top of her game, Mariana planned to have a child. She figured it would be a little bit of a break in the flow and she jumped right back into things. Well, nothing went to plan. And this is her story of being very visible, feeling that she's invisible and realizing that that really isn't the case. Welcome to Creative Mornings in Dubai, number 69. So when I went to meet James in the podcast, I thought, you know, I grew up listening to James on the on the radio. So I thought I was meeting my idol, you know, because I always want to be on the radio. And then it turns out that I actually met my long lost friend. We just clicked like that, you know, on the spot. But before I start, I just want to make sure that you can actually hear me and uh, see me. You know, what am I doing? What am I wearing? Yeah, I just want to make sure I'm not invisible. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for seeing me. So how am I starting this talk? Wait. Oh, by the way, and if I cough mid-sentence, it's not intentional. I actually have a dry cough that I can't get rid of. So I apologize in advance. When uh, James told me that I'm going to do a talk on invis invisible, I can't even say the word, I actually thought he meant invincible. And I'm like, yes, sign me up. I'm there. I'm on that stage talking about how invincible I am. Because honestly, who wants to come, stand on a stage and boast about being invisible? You know, and a trending word, in a world where our visibility is measured by viewerships, double takes, double taps, double click. Apparently me, that person was me. My name is Mariana Misakian. If you say that fast enough, five times you get a cookie. Mariana Misakian, Mariana Misakian, Mariana Misakian. I have a very long name. Uh, when I introduce myself as a storyteller, people usually accept, they roll their eyes and they go, here we go again. She's going to start telling us a story and her stories are going to start with once upon a time. Well, obviously not because my stories start with once upon an Enzo. That's my Enzo. That's my son. And sometimes my stories even start with once upon a cappuccino. But this wasn't always the case. This wasn't how my stories started. There was a time where my stories started with, so there was a moment where, moment in time where my stories would start with once upon a stiletto, and even they would start with once upon a press release. So let's go back to the start. Let's go back to how it all started and how I actually got here. I came to Dubai and, uh, oh, I forgot to tell you something about me. My name, if my name didn't give it away, I'm actually Armenian. I'm 100% Armenian genetically, but legally I'm 100% Lebanese because of my passport. 
I was born in Lebanon and stayed in Lebanon until I fell head over heels in love with a boy, got married and came to Dubai. And that's where my story starts. I came to Dubai in 1998. Oh, and if you're wondering, yeah, I'm still married to the same boy. <laughs> I know. So in 1998, I came to Dubai. I was 18 years old when I came to Dubai. Did I give my age away? Who got it? I'm 24. You can stop counting. <laughs> so when I came to Dubai at 18, I made sure that I was visible. I made sure that I had a job, I had a car, and I had a house. And after that, I made sure that I had a better job, a faster car, and a bigger house. And after that, guess what? I made sure I had the bestest job. I know that's not a word, but it's my word. I got the bestest job. I got the fastest car and I got the biggest house. I worked for IBM, I worked for Intel, I worked for McKinsey, I traveled the world. I was advising CEOs, chairmen, founders, entrepreneurs. I bought the Mercedes, I bought the BMW, I bought the Hummer. My husband bought the Porsche. I bought the cars, I bought the shoes, I bought the dress, I bought the diamonds. I was, and I made sure I was a kick-ass, overachiever employee. And I made sure I was a kick-ass, award-winning boss lady. And that's what I did. For 15 years, I made sure I did the only thing I wanted to do. I did the only thing I was so good at doing. I did the only thing I ever wanted to do. And that was to be boss lady, to see my name in shining lights, to be seen, to be heard, to be patted on the back, to be given all the outstanding achievement awards. I fired people, I fired so many people, and I unfriended friends who just couldn't keep up with me, who weren't as motivated, as driven, as dedicated as I was, who for some reason, they didn't want to do it all, to have it all. Wait, I'm gonna go check my notes. I lost my tail off. So, <laughs> so uh, one day I remember in one of uh, the jobs I had, the HR manager came, uh, came to my office and she told me, she said, Mariana, we love you. We really, really, really love you. We want to thank you for everything you have done for us, for all the successes you brought, for all the awards that you got for the company, for the chairman, for the CEO, for making us a global brand. Thank you. But people in the office actually fear you. People don't want to talk to you. People don't even want to be around you. You know, when she was telling me this, all I could think in my head was, yes, yes. You know, I made it, I did it. You know, I am boss lady, people fear me. I'm on top of the world. And I'm gone to the temp and I was like, oh, me and the ticket are not friends today. And I'm like, yeah, I want to do, give me, give me, give me, give me more. What more? I want more, give me as more as you can. This was in 2010, I was 29 years old, and I had it all. 
I had a job, I had the big fat check, I felt that I was on top of the world, and I felt that I had it all. So the city success story went on loop over and over again for 15 years. Until the day I became a mom and I moved to suburbia. I'm going to stop here for a minute and share a secret with you. Maybe men don't know. I don't know. Some women, according to my studies, some women become pregnant by accident. That's the fun way. Other women become pregnant by peer and social pressure. In my opinion, that's the wrong way. Other women become pregnant after very thorough and careful consideration, planning, elimination, targeting, budgeting, forecasting process. And that's me. That's my way. When I started working, it became very, very clear to me that I had to plan my pregnancy way down in the future, but I still had to plan it according to my career ambitions. So at 19, when I started working, way before I had the UAE driving license and way before I was allowed to legally drink and maybe in some countries legally to vote, I'm not sure, at 19, I took the conscious decision that I will only and only be a mom when I had worked enough, when I had created my own legacy, when I had reached enough high in the corporate world where it was safe for me to leave my job, to leave my career, go on a maternity leave for a year or maybe two, and then come back and pick up things from where I left it. And so in 2013, based on my forecast, it was time to have a baby. So in 2013, I became a mom. And in 2017, I moved to suburbia. Suburbia, if you don't know, it's where full-time moms go because that's where we assemble. We sit in a corner and we knit, you know? So I was a full-time mom and that's where I had to go. I had to leave the city and go to suburbia. And that was when and where I became faceless, nameless, voiceless. I became anonymous. I became invisible. The thing was that the story I was telling and living, the story where supposedly I was the hero. And that story, motherhood chapter always said, Six pack, super mom, bliss. You know the ones I'm talking about, right? <laughs> they are skinny, they are bossy, they are sassy, they're killing it in the boardroom in the morning, and they're killing it in the bedroom at night. They're driving a convertible, they don't even sweat through their silk shirt. But I wasn't, I wasn't a super mom, a six pack. Every time I would look in the mirror, I would see, this, <laughs> I would see an overweight, <laughs> a lady in spandex sobbing, sobbing. And you know what made it worse? What made it worse is that people kept on asking me, what do you do? 
I hated that question. I hated it because every time you ask, what do you do? People expected a title, a job, a five-year career plan, something so that they could validate me, label me, and place me in a box. Oh yeah, Mariana is here. This is how I'm going to deal with it. This is her label. But what could I have told them? All I could have told them was, I'm a mom. And they would go like, that's it? You're a mom? Like, you don't have any dreams? Any ambitions? You don't want to do something with your life? You don't want to achieve something with it? That's the mom? What happened to you, girl? You used to be somebody. And every time they would ask me, what do you do? I would shrink and shrink some more and get rolled up into a ball, climb into bed and stay there for days, days. I felt invisible, I wasn't being seen, I wasn't being heard. Up to that point in my life, I was somebody. And that was the first time ever in my life that I had been a nobody. And I have known for nothing. The thing is, the outside world didn't see all this. From the outside world, my hair was, you know, I, I had it all. I had the family, I had the car, I had the house, I even had the Lululemon spandex. From the outside where everything was fine. And the more the world, and by the way, by world I mean my husband. And the more my husband kept on telling me, you've got this, the more I felt invisible. Because I didn't fit. I didn't fit a narrative. I didn't fit the success story that my nine-year-old self dreamt about. I didn't. But what I thought at that time that I didn't fit my story. And it turns out that it wasn't actually my story. It wasn't even a story after all. It was just something I was repeating because it was something I grew up believing that it had to be my story. And if I look back now and even now and, and I look around and I see a lot of people sharing the same story and thinking that it is their own story. But the thing is, the truth is, it's just a script. We are all sharing a copy of the same script. A script that says how we're gonna look, how we're gonna dress, how to sound, how to think, what does happiness look like, and what does success look like? In uh, 2018, uh, after not uh, speaking to an adult or to a human being for almost two weeks, it was just me and my son in the house. I think my husband was in the US at the time. After not speaking to someone for two weeks, I picked up the book, Never Eat Alone. And when I opened the book right there, in the middle of the book, it said, go to a Toastmasters meeting. Because apparently, Toastmasters is a public speaking club. And whoever shows up have to speak. And whoever is in the audience has to listen. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. You know, I haven't been speaking. Nobody has been listening to me for a while. This is where I have to go. I will speak. They will listen. I will be heard. I will be seen. That's the plan. So I go to a Toastmasters meeting. And I stand up to introduce myself. 
And I don't know how, and I don't know why, but I stand up and I say, my name is Mariana Misakian. I don't know who I am. Can you please help me figure out who I am? I don't know what got into me that day, but it just felt like that was my emancipation proclamation. That day, on that stage, in front of 15 women, and some of them are today online, on Zoom, that day in front of those women, I somehow chose to speak my truth, to tell them how I was hurting, to be vulnerable. And on that day, I started a journey to find greatness within me, inside me. I started a journey to figure out who I was regardless of a job. I started on a journey to figure out who I was regardless of what I did, stripped from title and a job. The most surprising thing I actually discovered in this journey, it was that in the city, in my template success story in the city, I was continually asking, what does the city, Oprah, my mom, the queen, Meghan Markle, what do these people want from me? And what I was doing during those 15 years, I was actually adjusting my identity to fit their story, to fit their expectations. All I had to do was choose my story to fit my identity. Do you know the, let me show you this. When I was writing this uh, talk, all I could think about was this painting. And not actually this painting, this is called The Son of Man. I was actually thinking about the scene from the Thomas Crown Affair. I don't know if anyone here has seen the movie, Pierce Brosnan, I'll play a clip in a while. And that scene of that movie, there's a scene in the museum where everyone gets dressed like this. They put on a black raincoat with a black hat because they want it all to look the same. And when everyone looks the same, nobody stands out. In that specific scene, Pierce Boston was actually trying to disappear. And he was trying to disappear by being one of many in a crowd of all the same. Can David, can we play the scene if you haven't seen it? So that's Pierce Brosnan going with his bowler hat. And then what happens next? There's another one and another one. And the security camera doesn't even know which one is Pierce Brosnan because everyone they look the same. They, thank you. They're all dressed the same. They're all walking the same. They're all carrying the same briefcase. And this is actually what it turns out that I was doing in the city. I wasn't killing it. I wasn't doing it my way. I was actually doing it everybody's way because we all got the same script. I was looking and talking and working like everybody else. I was one of many and more of the same. So if I thought that I was invisible 
and suburbia because people refused to see me. In the city, I actually was invisible because I refused to see myself. So what did I do? I did what with any normal middle-aged Armenian Lebanese overweight full-time suburbia mom would do. I unfollowed all those people in the black raincoat and the black bowler hat. I deleted the template of success stories. I deleted my social media. I unsubscribed of people's opinions of me. And I went back to the start. I went back to figure out what makes me, me. My values, my passion, what takes me, what makes me happy, what makes me sad. What am I passionate about? What makes me cry? What makes me laugh? Who am I? And I stopped and I got off the hamster wheel and I started asking the questions that matter. I started asking the right questions. I started asking, what am I doing? Who am I doing it for? What does success look for me? What does happiness look for me? And I started moving from the story of me to the story of we, because I wanted to understand my contribution and my impact in the community. I moved from being invisible to connect with the community. That's what I wanted to be. I moved from being invisible to insightful. Because when I unsubscribe, when I muted the voices of those people and their expectations, when I deleted the template of success, outdated by the way, and what the success is and how success should look like and what happiness is and what happiness should look like, it was only at that time that I truly knew who I wanted to be, stripped from everything, stripped from society, from title, from job. And do you know who I wanted to be? <laughs> After six years of crying on my bathroom floor in spandex, do you know who I wanted to be? I wanted to be the full-time mom I already was before the world told me it wasn't enough, before I believed the world that I wasn't enough. That's who I wanted to be. So who do you want to be? In my book, this is the cover of my book, by the way. If you see my name is spelled the wrong way on the Starbucks cup, as it usually does. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I tell a story in my book and I say, don't wait for the barista to spell your name right. Don't wait for others to see you. You start seeing yourself the, one, the way you want to be seen. You choose who you are, regardless of what you do. This is my story. <laughs> I'm curious, all the people that you unfollowed in that process, sorry, all the people that you unfollowed in that process, what was their reaction when they realized 
if they realized you were unfollowing them in that growth process that you had? I just follow, I just unfollowed and I went offline for a whole two years. And I, I stopped thinking about them. They were no longer in my life because they had such power over me. They had such power. Their voices were in my head. But the minute I took the decision that that's it, all I want to hear is my voice inside my head and not the million people, strangers, friends, influencers, whatever you want to call it. But that is, it starts with one step, one decision. I never looked back. I didn't even think about them. I don't know where they are now. I don't know anything about them. <laughs> no, they're not. They're irrelevant to me at this moment. And and this journey that I am on, and this new chapter that I am, they're irrelevant to me. So I don't know. Maybe they're looking me up, but I'm not looking them up. <laughs> what made you decide to get back on social media? My friend, my very dear friend. <laughs> Very, very dear friend, because I was writing a book. I just launched and published my book, and my book is a satire memoir, so I do have a sense of humor, very dark. It's hidden somewhere here. So my book is, uh, is 40 stories, 40 short stories of the year I turned 40 in 2019. It took me two and a half years to write this book. So when I was in the final stages of writing the book and editing the book and publishing the book, my friend told me, Mariana, they need to know your story. People need to hear your story. And I'm like, yes, I know. And I will make them hear. He's like, no, social media. You need social media. It's the only way to promote your book and your stories and your new journey and to help people actually is through social media. And this is why I did this whole thing. This is why I started writing. This is why I published my book. This is why I opened up my wounds in public for the million people. It, it's not easy when you write a memoir. As uh, Lorraine says that she's online, it's like giving birth to a child publicly. It's not easy. But I kept on thinking, who am I fighting for? Who am I doing this for? It's not my pain anymore. I'm okay for people to see my pain, where I come from, if I can help one woman. If I can help one woman feel better about herself, if I can help one woman stand up from her bathroom floor and stop crying alone, then I will do it. And social media is the beast. So. By the way, you say a lot of words, it's like giving, what is it? She just said giving birth. Giving birth. Okay. Uh, that's not my thing, that's Lorraine's. She's online. <laughs> She's from Toastmasters. She said it because she published her book before me. And she said publish because I had finished writing my book, editing my book, designing my book and everything. And the book was just sitting in front of me simmering. And my friend, one of my friends, she couldn't understand why I wasn't publishing the book, why I wasn't announcing to the world that my book is ready. Go ahead and read it. I'm like, you don't understand. This is it. This is all of me, vulnerable, open, authentic, in front of the whole world. Just give me a minute. Give me a minute. <laughs> I will get there. I, I can relate to that. <laughs> I can really understand. Um, thanks for hearing your journey. Um, I'm curious about um, you know when you were reflecting. You went through this reflection phase. You said you I, like. There must have been some sense of isolation, or like, did you feel isolated? Did you feel? Forced to isolate yourself? Did you like? I guess there's this idea of isolation, and then there's this idea of support. Like, how do you find your value, and who did you, um, I guess, work with in order to find your value, or like recognize your value, not find it, recognize it? <laughs> so, Toastmasters has the biggest credit on my transformation journey. Really, I still remember that day on the stage. 
how I said it, why I said it, who was there. They had the biggest effect because they had offered a safe space. We would meet at Lorraine's house or Renata's house, one of the ladies from the club. And the energy there was safe. The energy was be who you are, the way you want to be. And that was my biggest support system. After that, my uh, epic introduction, I didn't speak on stage for a few months because all I wanted was to fill their energy into me. All I wanted, I just wrote, uh, I just delivered a speech on mentorship a few days ago. And I said that for years, for years, I thought that I had to go down on one knee and ask someone to mentor me, you know, because I say 23 years ago, I actually asked my husband to marry me. So I kept on thinking that a mentor is the same, you know, I have to wait for someone, the one, so that I would go down on my knee and ask the mentor to mentor me, to accept me so that I can start learning and she could start teaching me. But all I had to do was to show up and be open to receive because a mentor, doesn't wait to be asked. And that's what the Toastmasters ladies did to me. Each and every one of them gave me, supported me in their own unique way without me having to ask. And you need that support system. You need that community. It's all about a community where, you know, you can just drop the mic and go like this. <laughs> and without them, without the community, I could have them. And of course, it goes from there you meet someone, you meet another someone, you need them. And my whole existence, why I'm here today, it was a chain reaction. And it started the day I chose to go to that meeting, stand up on stage and say, I'm lost, I'm hurt, I'm crying, help me. I was reading a book with my son the other day. It's The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. Oh, I love that, I haven't. We've had it for so long, but just a few days ago we had it. And in one of the pages it says, the bravest thing someone can do is to ask for help. And that's what I did. I didn't know I was brave. I just thought I was desperate and miserable. But that's the bravest thing one can do is ask for help. Find your community. I'm curious to know, so you've lived a high-powered life, you know, with all the fancy cars and everything. Now, obviously, you know, you've shifted, you know, have a whole mind shift. What's your experience in Dubai with that whole mind shift? Like, you know, aside from the fancy cars, aside from the big houses, you know, the fancy parties and stuff like that, what do you normally do then? What, what's your what's your day? Well, where I live, I call it my village. I actually do. Uh, because that's where I live. I live in my community. And every time I come to the city, this is the city, I have to think, okay, I need to be in the mental set, you know, because there are different kinds of people, the different expectations. I need to dress different. I need to start different. But now when I come to the city, it's like a bird's eye view. I've done it. I've experienced it. I've savored it. I've done it to the max. And now I can let go. I know how it was, but now my job is to tell the city people, come see how it is in my village. Come to the other side. <laughs> uh, but first I'm going to mention a quote by Lorraine. She, she quoted you and said, I didn't know I was brave. I thought I was desperate. Uncle, Mariana, Miss yeah. Right? I got it? Okay, awesome. So the question is, what did authenticity change in you? Oh, so much. A few days ago, uh, one of my friends, we were having a goodbye get-together before Christmas holidays. And one of my friends told me and uh, looked at me and she said, Mariana, you changed. I'm like, I changed? 
because I met her in my suburbia version. She doesn't know my city version. And she was like, yeah, you changed. When I met you two years ago, three years ago, you were gloomy, you were sad, you were always complaining and always nagging. And now you're just blossoming, you're always happy, you're always shining, you're always, I love being around you. And that's what authenticity, I think I can only credit that to authenticity because I am no longer scared to come to you and tell you I'm in pain. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Please help me. I'm lost today. I don't know how to be a mom today. I don't know how to be a friend today. Can you help me? And when you have nothing to hide anymore, it all comes out, the good, the bad, and also the good and the great and the better. Um, I'm just wondering a question that I keep asking myself. What is your biggest fear after going through all of this? Uh, I, I don't really, I don't. It's, I remember I was doing a manifestation session a few uh, weeks ago and the lady in the manifestation session told me to go back to that one perfect time in life where you thought everything was perfect and you were happy and you got it all. And when I went back to that moment, the only thing I could feel and understand is that no fear. I had no fear. You know, when we are kids, I can see it in my son now, he's eight years old, he has no fear. And when you have no fear, you are boundless. There's nothing you can't do, there's nothing you can't stop. I'm not saying life is rosy and daisy and walk in the park, but you're not afraid of failing. And that's our biggest fear. Our biggest fear is the fear of failure. But when you're even not afraid of that, there's nothing you can't do. Because what is failure, really? That was one of my biggest fears as well. When I went to suburbia, I, I feared, I failed. I actually failed according to my story, according to how my story should have progressed. And that's why I hid, and that's what happened. Is, but so what? So what you fail? We need to start by we, I mean, the greater society, we need to start talking about failure with kindness. You know, we read all the press releases. I keep on talking about this. Maybe I'm going off track. We keep on reading all the press releases, all the success stories, all the big wins, all the investment, the funding and all that. But what about the failures? What about the hundred failures that couldn't make it and why? We can learn more from failures than we can learn from a success because success is a copy-paste formula. But getting out of failure is not. We can learn more and we can grow more by talking about our failures and how we overcome them. So there's nothing I fear. And um, recently my father passed away uh, this year and I, I wrote about it and I said, if I hadn't gone through these changes, if I wasn't authentic, if I wasn't afraid of bearing my pain out, I wouldn't have gotten over the grief of losing my father. Life will happen and it's ugly, and it's crazy, and it's happy. There's nothing we can do as long as we know who we are. Sorry, I'm going too philosophical. <laughs> no, that's fine. We have um, two more questions for you online uh, from Sumana. Are you going to have workshops for moms and kids? Yeah. <laughs> Working on it. 
working on it. Yes, a few months ago, I went and I gave a workshop for children actually about story writing and storytelling. And it was my first time because when I wrote this book, I thought I was going to help the moms. I was going to help the women to define themselves about who they are regardless of what they do. But when I gave my workshop, my storytelling workshop to children, the, the, the reaction I got was priceless, priceless. So yes, thank you, Sumana. They're coming very soon. And uh, from Selwa, your authenticity shows your presence living in the moment with conviction and confidence and staying true to yourself. Bravo, Maria. Thank you, Selwa. Thank you. Awesome. Selwa is another Toastmasters, actually. We are 20 Toastmasters. 19 of 20 of them have my back. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Please uh, let us all You've been listening to Mariana Masaki and here on the Creative Mornings Dubai podcast. You want to find out more? Well, Google www.creativemornings.com or Google Creative Mornings, all one word in Dubai, and it'll take you directly to our site. Thank you very much for listening. Share the link and hope to see you in person really soon. So long for now.